today <clears throat> we continue in <clears throat> excuse me in our study in 1 Corinthians 12 and we pick up in the middle of it uh, verse 12 I introduced it last week we'll continue on the emphasis last week was on the distinction between spiritual gifts uh, but also the fact that it was causing division within their church and so he tried to bring Uh, them kind of back around to a more centered position of understanding that spiritual gifts are not for the purpose of exalting one person over another, but for the mutual welfare of the church. And so if it's not for the common good, then it's probably not good at all. And so that's that's uh, an excellent way for us to think about this, especially in this passage, but also next week in chapter 13. In the week that will follow in chapter 14, and probably looking at a couple of weeks for each of those as we go through them. And so today he tells us why. This is an explanation of why the mutual good is the only biblical way for us to approach understanding spiritual gifts and ministries and service and activities and all the different things that he mentions. Uh, the mutual good of the church is ultimately going to put the church in the greatest position to declare the gospel and to do so consistently for the glory of God. And so this provides the best progression. Now what happens if this doesn't happen? If this doesn't happen, then what will follow will be division within the church and will be divided between ourselves, so separated from one another, And that separation from each other will then result in separation between all of us and God. This broken uh, flow of relationship, this brokenness in the spiritual uh, connection that God intends to exist within the church is something that will diminish the effectiveness of the church and divert our attention away from the gospel. Now... Is that inevitable? I'd say yes. I'd say yes. Conflict within the church, when you get this many people together, conflict is inevitable. Uh, is, is division going to happen? Sure. Uh, it's going to happen. So for us to imagine that a, a, a scenario can exist where these things never occur is unrealistic. What I'm telling us is that, that the Bible is teaching us principles for handling this. Rather than us wringing our hands in the hopes that we never experience conflict, let's come back to a biblical understanding of how to resolve conflict, how to deal with differences, how to approach the variety that exists and the diversity that is a part of the body of Christ, and to understand more thoroughly and theologically why we do what we do, And why God has made us to be who we are. If we do that, then when these things arise, and again, it's inevitable, then we will be equipped to deal with it in a loving fashion that will restore people and will not hamper or hinder the cause of Christ. So, how do we do that? Well, we need a lot of different parts and pieces to make it work. So what God has given us is one body, but he's given us many different members. So one body, many members, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. First of all, note 
that He has provided us unity with each other and with Himself through redemption. Verses 12 through 14 say, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all made to drink of one spirit. Now, Paul repeats himself, which he does in a lot of his writings, for emphasis, but also for clarity. Here we see the statement, then the reversal of the statement. So he says it forward and backward. He's saying the same thing both times, and both times he is trying to help us to understand what is most important. Just as the body is one, but has many members, all the members of the body are many, but one. So you see forwards, backwards. It's the same. Whichever end of verse 14 or verse 12 you start with, you're going to conclude with the same principle. Now how does this happen? He gives us insight and understanding so that he says, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are baptized into one body. The key to understanding verses 12 through 14 and the unity that we enjoy as the body of Christ is the phrase, so it is with Christ. What is he doing? He's pointing us back to what we introduced last week. When we look at verses 1 through 11, there he compares the work of the church, the ministry of the church, the gifting of the church. He compares that to the unique unity that is to exist in this great diversity and variety. And then he says it is like the diversity and variety that we encounter when we encounter God the Father, Sovereign Creator, when we encounter Jesus Christ, the Son, Redeemer and Savior, and when we experience the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter from Christ Himself that has come to continue on all that He has begun before us. We encounter, we experience, we understand, and we know each member of the Trinity in a very distinct and different way that is unique to each one. And yet the Bible teaches us that our God, God, is one. That's what he's talking about. So the key to understanding the unity that we experience as a church is understanding more thoroughly the way that we have come into that church through the redeeming work of the Son, applied in our hearts and energized by the work of the Holy Spirit, established as the plan, will, and purpose for the glory of the Creator God. Now what happens when we don't do it that way? Well, when we don't do it that way, we have to find some of the reason to be a part of church. Why do you go to church? To get my wife off my back. I understand, terrible reason, but I'll take what I can get, glad you're here, and now we'll turn God loose on you and see what happens. Maybe we can redirect your thoughts away from uh, getting your wife off your back and more to getting the Holy Spirit in your heart. So, so I'll take what I get. But you're going to have to meet me halfway, okay? So you're going to have to understand that just because you didn't come for the right reason doesn't mean you can't leave with the right transformation. Why would you come to church? Well, it's just the right thing to do, you know. I, 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 I'm, I, every once in a while I know that I'm going to need some help. No, not most of the time. I'm pretty terrific, you know. I mean, really, I got this most of the time. But every once in a while, I need some help. 
Not often. I mean, anybody who knows me, ask anybody. They know that I'm, I'm great. But every once in a while. I, I hope that if you come with that reasoning in mind and you think that you are pretty terrific and capable in and of yourself and you only need God occasionally, I hope that in the process of your experience with Christ, you will understand just how not terrific you are. And how utterly and desperately you need help every moment of your life. And if it takes that to get you here, then that's okay. Uh, I don't care what brought you here. I care what you're going to leave with. Ultimately, the only way you are going to understand your role, your place, your experience within the body of Christ... And I'm not talking about Temple Baptist Church. I'm talking about the entire body of Christ. This is a kingdom experience that he is talking about. Yes, he wrote to the Corinthians, and it is localized. But it is also universal for the entire church. And it continues through to this day as well for us also. The only way you and I connect to the church is through the redeeming work of Christ Jesus applied in our lives so that that phrase, through, in, because of, with Christ, becomes the central connection point for every member. Think of it like all the things in your physical body that hold all of those pieces and parts together. That is the spiritual reality of who we are as individual members of the larger body of Christ held together because of the common bond of redemption. We may all be unique and different, and we may have different gifts and abilities, but we all need the same Savior. So the Bible teaches us then that sin separates people from God and each other, but Christ unites people through redemption from sin. Our union is with God and therefore is also with each other. As the body is one, has many members, so the members are many or one body in Christ. Unity in redemption overcomes the differences of race and status. He mentions Jew and Greek. He mentions slave and free. These are just two categories of status that existed in their day. There are others that we could apply to that. So whether we're talking about racial or we're talking about economic or we're talking about religious or whatever the background or issue is, whether it's political or some other dividing point that exists within society and culture, what he's reminding us of is that there is equality at the cross. So that all of us come to Jesus with the same need. All of us experience redemption in the same way. And that transformation takes place as a result, not because of what we have done, but because of what He has done in us. So that He says we are immersed in the Spirit, for we are all baptized into one Spirit. Is He talking about the connection or teaching about uh, baptism? Probably not really, but it seems almost illogical that he would use that word and it wouldn't be in mind to some extent. This is not a, a treatise on the ordinances, neither baptism nor on the Lord's Supper. But it is rather a reminder, the immersion. Remember the word baptize means to immerse. So even though we've made it 
more of a, a noun is really more of a verb in the biblical sense. And so when he uses it here, he says we are immersed in the Spirit. This is the transformation. Covered over. Filled with. This is what he's talking about. He's telling us that the way that we experience unity through the redeeming work of God is that we have been immersed in the Spirit of God so that the very thing that Christ promised, the very One that came on the day of Pentecost and enabled the powers of the Spirit within the lives of the apostles and then through the believers that would follow after, that that is still our legacy today. And that we are still a part of that. And it is only to the degree that we are immersed. You say, well, what does that mean? It means a lot of things. But it means primarily that we follow the biblical pattern of praying in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, refusing to grieve with our sin, the Spirit, refusing to quench with our disbelief, the Spirit. So that the Spirit's fruit is then manifested through our lives so that it is visible and evident and measurable and accountable on an increasing increasing level. So that others see spiritual work coming through us and spiritual character within us. If the only time that people see you acting like a Christian is when you're at church with other Christians... Your character is broken. If when you leave church, you act more like the people that are not Christians, then something's wrong. You say, well, it's just hard for me. No, it isn't. It's wrong. It's broken for you. There's something damaged. If you're comfortable and okay with behavior that is contrary to the will of God and the Word of God and the Spirit that is dwelling within you that comes from God. If you're comfortable with behavior or language or values or principles being applied in your life when you are away from church, something's wrong. Now, I'm not trying to be accusatory. I'm not trying to even be judgmental. I'm trying to be truthful. I'm sounding a warning out of concern for you. I'm not trying to distance you. I'm trying to help you to come back. The Spirit changes us. This is what he's talking about. Being immersed in the Spirit means that there's nowhere that you go that the Holy Spirit does not dwell within you. Notice he says we are made to drink of the same Spirit. Does this refer to the drinking of wine as a remembrance of the shed blood of Jesus associated with the Lord's Supper? It could, but it doesn't necessarily follow, and it doesn't teach anything else about the Lord's Supper here. So I don't know that that necessarily has anything to do with it. What do I think? Here's what I think. And, And I qualify it that way because there are lots of other people that think a little bit differently than I do, and that's okay. Uh, You may be one of them. I think that when he uses baptized in the Spirit, he's talking about the Spirit coming over us, the immersion in the Holy Spirit. When he speaks of drinking of the same Spirit, he's trying to show that what changes and transforms us through redemption and through sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So he's trying to show us that, that we have this common bond. We all depend on the work of the Spirit. 
When he says we drink in the Spirit, on the one hand, the Spirit comes over us. On the other hand, the Spirit comes into us. And that's what I think. That is an interpretation. So if you're wondering what you are to uh, understand about Scripture, sometimes the Scripture requires no interpretation because it's very clear with what it says. Sometimes interpretation is possible. This is one of those. So the Scripture remains true even if I mess it up. Uh, so, so I, but I don't think this is messing it up. I think this is trying to understand a way that we can connect with it. So unity within the body of Christ begins with us being fully immersed in the work and the will of the Holy Spirit. And it is with us taking in and being transformed from the inside out by the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. So... Unity comes through redemption. Notice secondly in verses 15 through 26, equality is in our identity with Christ. Verse 15 says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, then where would the sense of hearing be if the whole body were, were an ear? Where would the sense of smell be? Equality has to do with identity. We should not think less of ourselves because of a gift or calling. So Paul deals with two categories of people in, Corinth, in the Corinthian church in Corinth. One group of people thinks because they don't possess a certain type of gift that somehow they are less important to the church and less important to the cause of Christ. The second group of people, because they do possess a certain gift, believe themselves to be more important and have now exalted themselves above the others. What has happened now is that the church is dividing out into this caste system and these categories sometimes referred to as cliques or whatever, are kind of collecting themselves. And think about it. What happens when this sort of division occurs, what happens is those who think less of themselves are focused on other people with more outward gifts, and those who think more of themselves are focused on the outward gifts that they think they control. In both cases, what is occurring is an attention being given to people rather than God. There's the problem. The first group thinks less of themselves. Dan Savant's been in the hospital this week and has been dealing with some illness, and so I know he's on prayer list and so forth, but uh, Dan's wife, Shirley, one of the most godly women I've ever known. I was thinking about her when I was working on this because I'd just been to see him. <clears throat> and uh, over the years, I would go to Shirley. I'd say, hey, we need help with this, that, or the other thing. And it would, you know, you name it. She did just about everything there was to do in this church. Uh, just such a servant's heart. But she didn't think very highly of herself. And so when I would ask her, she, she would say, well, if you think I can do it, I, I'd be glad to try if there's not someone that you think could do it better. And I, I always said to her, well, surely if I thought there was someone who could do it better, I would have gone to them. 
And, and I don't think there's anyone that can do it better. But a lot of times we think, well, we don't go to the one who can do it the best because they're probably already loaded up and too busy. So we go to the one who can do it maybe kind of medium, you know, if we can get medium out of them. We're not going to go to the bottom unless we just have to. But if we can get medium, then that'd be pretty good. And so we'll go to them. Um, she never thought more highly of herself. And if anything, she thought too little of herself. Um, there's a humility involved in that that is, that is beautiful and inviting and one that is warm and, and, and loving. But there's also a failure to recognize an equality so that she humbles herself to the point where she looks at other people and says, well, but I can't do that. So therefore, what I can do isn't as important. That's just not true. Over the years, some of you have taken part in the encouraging ministries that you have offered to other people through all the letters and the cards and the visits and the various contacts and things that you do. You may never find yourself in a role of publicly speaking the gospel or declaring the way you see me doing that. Or you may not find yourself in a leadership role that you would identify as something that is outward or obvious. And so somehow you think that because of what I am doing here and the influence that it may have on others that that is more important but the reality is what good would it do for me to be the very best preacher and speaker that could possibly exist if there's no one to respond to the word that is spoken it would be useless in fact they take you away when you do that here's the point don't think less of yourself just because you don't possess some particular ability or gifting that you've identified as somehow more important. The body of Christ is absolutely essential to the work of God in this world. And the body of Christ is always going to be made up of many different members, but will be one purpose-driven body. And without all of those different members, then all we're going to be left with is some sort of deformed misrepresentation of what God intended. In verse 18, he says, As it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as He chose. So keep in mind that your gift or your calling should not think less of yourself because, of, because by His sovereign purpose, God has arranged that you would do exactly what you are doing, be exactly who you are becoming as a result of His will. It is God that arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. Why? Because God arranged it so. But look at what he says as it continues on in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are in fact indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> are treated with greater modesty, which... Our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. 
What is the point? The point, again, is just as we are not to think less of ourselves, we are now not to think more of ourselves. For we all need each other. God composed the body, taking into account those who thought less of themselves. But we also must remember that God has so composed the body in a way that requires us to recognize that and that all are important, especially for those who think too much of themselves. <clears throat> he said that God composed the body to protect some. So he says those that require more modesty, those that require more support. He has so composed the body so that some members may need additional protection by other members. That's one of the reasons that church is so important, is the protection, the boundaries, the value of accountability. All of that that it provides within the church is something that allows us to not only know, but to be known. When the church functions as a group of people who gather together, nothing more than maybe a, a large sporting event or an outdoor or indoor concert where we're all just fans coming together to watch or observe something, then the church doesn't work like a church. It works like the world. But when the church gathers together and does so with an awareness of the connections that exist and the relationships that are going to be present not only when we're here, but wherever we may go. Now it's something very different. So he calls upon us to understand that this is how God has so arranged and composed the body so that it will protect some. But it also projects others. So just as the prophets were sent to proclaim the Word of God, so also we have members within the congregation who specifically are going to give leadership or who specifically are going to have a more outward presence in the community that we all can be a part of. So we protect some, we project others, but there is no division. No division. And then he concludes it by saying this in verses 25 and 26, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. Why do we show the video of seniors today if there's no recognition, no seniors here? We showed it because you're part of the body. And, and even though we don't want it to be this way, we actually have two churches. We have the 815 church, and we have the 1045 church. And sometimes you'll cross over, and then you'll, you'll know what it's like when somebody from the service that you don't attend comes up to you and says, are you visiting with us today? But you've been a member for 20 years. It happens all the time. Some of you even get offended, and you need to get over that, by the way. Uh, that's, that's an inappropriate response, just because someone doesn't know you. They may be new. There's a whole host of reasons. They may have just had a stroke. 
I mean, there's all kinds of excuses and reasons why someone doesn't know you. Maybe they've been blocking you from their memory because of a previous experience that didn't go well. I don't know. I'm just saying when you go to another service and you're not recognized, there's a reason for that. There's two churches here. Why do we have small groups? So that we can blend them together. This is where you get to know each other and connect. This is why we harp on it and why drive that home and push you to get involved in these small groups to help us overcome come the distance that often occurs as a result of the division that takes place out of necessity in space. And yet, he says there's not to be any division among us. And we're to have the same care. Why don't we show the video? We do it so that you know who these students are and you connect with their families. That's why he asked the question, who are your parents? That's why he says, where are you going to go to school? What are you going to do next? What are your plans for the future? Why does your faith matter to you? These things connect us. So we show the video. So that at least you... When we go to the second service, I'm going to tell them that Allison was baptized in the 815 service. And help them to understand. So even though they weren't here to see it, they'll know that, that she was baptized in this service. We need to connect with one another. He says we care for one another. We're unified together. There's no division that should exist between us. And we have the same care for one another. So that when one person suffers, we all suffer and feel bad. When one person is going to be blessed, we all rejoice. This is the kind of attitude that should exist communally within the church because of the connection and relationship that we have with Christ. What will it do? What what will it lead to? It will lead to a diversity for ministry that is desperately needed. Verse 27 says, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues or interpret, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and now I'm going to show you a still more excellent way. Here's the point. This third thing, diversity for ministry, this is what he's talking about here with these gifts. Again, not giving us an exhaustive list with a focused attention on gifting. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 14 more. Here, he's simply using it as illustrative material to help them connect with something that was already present among them and familiar to them. So he's telling them that these gifts that proclaim the gospel and proclaim the truth, these are the higher gifts that we should pursue. This was the area that they were struggling in. And they were putting too much emphasis on some and not enough on another. And as a result of that, they were doing so in order to exalt themselves or to identify more with the pagan culture. Again, we'll talk about that later. What's the point for us? The point for us is don't get caught up in the list of gifts. Not now. Not yet. The point here is to get caught up in the diversity that existed for the purpose of ministry. Ministry. There was an outcome that he was looking for. There was something that he wanted us to do. He says that we are the body of Christ. We are individually members of it. And he has appointed us. 
with these various giftings in order to accomplish something that is beyond any one of them individually. He said, we don't all do these things, do we? And he asked these questions over and over. And they're rhetorical questions that demand the answer no. And so we know that this is the way it is. Our common sense and our contact with reality tells us that the only way that we get the gospel ministry accomplished for the glory of God in an effective way that reaches beyond ourselves is by dividing the responsibilities amongst ourselves with all the variety of giftings. I can't tell you how many times I have had the privilege to say to someone how blessed we are here at our church because of the immense amount of talent, ability, and spiritual gifting that exists. From, from every level, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Every single person, whether it is the, the most basic things of preparing meals to provide comfort and encouragement to people who are grieving, or whether it is musical talent that represents the very highest standard to guide us so that we worship with a sense of freedom and joy, or whether it is teaching the truth of God's Word as we see these teachers developing, caring for children, extending ministry into this community and beyond into this world. There are opportunities that exist within this church because of the unique abundance that God has provided through the human resources that you and I represent. Together, what we can do is without limit or bound. But not because of us but because of Christ in us who connects us to Him first and then to each other. This is a powerful thing that the world looks on and scratches its head because it just doesn't get it. It's beyond brotherhood. It's beyond shared experience. It's beyond shared belief. It is shared identity in Christ. But even after he says all of that, he says, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Let me show you an even more excellent way. That's your preview for next week. So you come next week. We'll talk about an even more excellent way.